Hello everyone, my name is Hannah Rahman. Today I'll be discussing the impact of COVID-19 on hospitals in New York City and share some insight from my interview with Dr. Graham Barr, Professor of Medicine and Epidemiology at Columbia University Irving Medical Center. In New York City alone, there have been about 888,000 COVID-19 cases and about 30,000 deaths. In the spring of 2020, hospitals were overflowed with patients. Dr. Graham Barr spoke about how he prepared his division at Columbia University Irving Medical Center before the coronavirus hit New York City and what type of expectations they had. I think by February, it was pretty clear something was going to happen and there was a lot of uncertainty about how much and how quickly. So there were a lot of different steps taken to largely to try to increase capacity as much as possible in terms of sort of staffing, doctors, nurses, rooms, beds, ICUs, ventilators, and the, you know, this if you, these things don't usually change very much over time, so it's not easy to suddenly, you know, sort of triple capacity. Um, and so there were a lot of steps taken on to try to do as much of that as quickly as possible. Um, and then also pretty quickly there were a lot of cancellations and shutting down regular operations to prepare for, to swing everybody over to COVID. In addition, Dr. Barr speaks about whether he felt his hospital division at Columbia was prepared for the impact of COVID-19. He speaks about how his division spoke with physicians in Italy to learn about how COVID-19 impacted different countries. Did you feel that your hospital was prepared or could handle the amount of people that were coming in because of COVID illnesses? I think it's it's impossible for anybody to be fundamentally prepared because we haven't seen anything like this in our lifetimes and really the health system hasn't seen anything like this in a long time before that. And, you know, really the only prior experience with COVID when COVID hit New York was in Wuhan, China, and in Italy. Um, and we had read a lot about the Chinese experience and Chinese had shared a lot of data and we spoke to, um, Italian, uh, physicians about what was happening there, uh, to try to prepare. Although Columbia Irving Medical Center never reached a point where they were completely overwhelmed, a lot of hospitals in New York did. Many hospitals tried to increase capacity as much as possible, but healthcare facilities weren't financially stable. Facilities that were already underfunded with fewer resources and staffing struggled to care for the significant increase in patients. You know, fundamentally, there was a huge strain on the medical system that we were just able to manage. We never quite got to the if you like doomsday scenario of really not being able to care for people coming in the door, but we were absolutely stretched to the limit. 
As hospitals were reaching capacity, healthcare physicians did all they could to care for their patients. But what really made a difference was the lockdown. In the U.S., government policies and laws which focus on healthcare measures had a huge impact on public health. A government intervention in the lockdown had far-reaching effects for public health, especially during COVID-19. The government had control over financial stipends and made decisions about money that would be allocated to specific COVID-19 response efforts. Dr. Barr speaks about the impact the government had on the lockdown at the beginning of COVID-19. Really what made difference and what is so important for people to realize is not the medical, you know, the medical interventions were huge, but the public health interventions are far more important. When COVID-19 hit New York, it was really up to the people to take healthcare precautions and follow the rules. Before the lockdown, cases were spiking and it was really looking like an upward increase. Dr. Barr speaks about the impact that people had on COVID cases when they followed guidelines. Almost exactly three weeks after the city was shut down and everybody went into sort of a lockdown, the cases just dried up. And that's it. It just shows the power of people doing the right thing and public health interventions. And if the mayor or the governor had waited another week, we would have been completely overwhelmed. Um, if they had shut down a week earlier, there's a good study from Columbia that about 30,000 deaths would have been saved. Um, and it would have been a lot easier for us. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there was a lot of preparation. Uh, everybody went above and beyond. And we, if you like, made it just um, without getting into really um, worst case scenarios. Um, but it could have been averted uh, earlier, could have been less bad. When people do the right things, which are pretty straightforward and low tech, meaning, you know, six foot distancing, masks, being careful when you eat, being careful with friends, not getting together in large groups, it just makes this go away. And that, you know, is the shutdown that was the most impressive thing at the end of the day. And that was the only thing that sort of really stopped us. Although the lockdown lowered the rates of COVID-19 cases, there were still parts of the pandemic that were out of our control. For example, adequate access to healthcare was a huge issue during COVID-19, especially in New York. Many groups were disproportionately affected. In New York, quality and access to healthcare depends on location. COVID-19 only exacerbated this issue, as private medical centers in Manhattan, with large endowments, catered to wealthy people with insurance. Patients there got access to heart-lung bypass machines and specialized drugs, while in contrast, hospitals in lower-income areas were denied more basic treatments due to lack of resources. According to data, patients in lower-income areas were three times as likely to die as patients at medical facilities in the city's richest areas during the height of the pandemic. About 60% of patients who died from COVID-19 lived in zip codes with median household incomes, and Manhattan had 16 confirmed cases for every 1,000 residents, where there were 28 per 1,000 in residents in the Queens, 23 per 1,000 in Brooklyn, and 33 per 1,000 in the Bronx. 
In the first four months in New York, when coronavirus tore through low-income neighborhoods, it disproportionately infected people of color, especially immigrants and, un and essential workers who were unable, unable to stay home. At Columbia Irving Hospital in Washington Heights, Dr. Barr speaks about how the surrounding neighborhood is one of the poor areas of Manhattan and had massive racial disparities in who is affected by COVID-19. Where I work uh, at Columbia is in, is in Washington Heights on 168th Street. Um, it's one of the poorer areas of the city. Uh, it's right across the river from the South Bronx. Um, and, you know, the, the, I think as we all know, there were massive disparities um, in who got sick, who got severely ill, who died, um, largely due to economic um, reasons, having to go to work, not being able to work from home, um, you know, pre-existing conditions and so forth. So, you know, where I work at Columbia is, is, has always been, you know, the local community is, is predominantly Hispanic and predominantly poor. Um, and, uh, you know, and it was very badly affected. Uh, and, you know, areas of Queens were worse, um, sort of the highest rates, uh, parts of Brooklyn. Um, and parts of the Bronx that were dramatically different and you know, really large-scale differences. What do you think the reasons behind those differences are? Um, well, I, I, I mentioned a couple. Um, the you know we actually have a large study looking at this nationally now. Um, but you know, if you think about who can extract themselves from the situation either physically, you know, going to Long Island or whatever, um, uh, who can distance effectively by staying in their apartments easily and get delivery, um, who can telecommute easily uh, or Zoom in, uh, uh, who needs to get on buses or get on the subway and still go to work every day, um, who is, uh, you know, has more control over what they're exposed to and not, um, who is working in higher risk occupations in general, meaning sort of the large number of people in healthcare, uh, running you know, the MTA, so on and so forth. There's a massive differential in just exposure. Um, and then, and that drives probably most of it. Um, you know, there's a little bit more related to um, age and other medical conditions. Um, there's quite a lot. Actually, in Italy, there was a very large component of multi-generational families, which we also have in New York. So, you know, even if the, uh, uh, the old folks in the family were staying home, socially distancing, and so on and so forth, the younger people living in the same apartment or house, uh, you know, would have to go to work and may get infected, and they'd be fine because there's a very big age gradient with this disease, um, but then they'd infect their, you know, older relatives. Um, and that was very, very common in Italy, and I think it happened a lot here too. 
In addition to these disparities, COVID-19 highlighted long-standing systemic health and social inequities within our New York City healthcare system. Dr. Barr speaks about strengths and weaknesses within our healthcare system. What flaws in the United States healthcare system did you observe during the peak of the pandemic or currently with the vaccine rollout? You know, there's a lot of different levels of that. I mean, first of all, I would say, you know, the people on the ground, the, you know, the boots on the ground, if you like, in terms of, you know, the nurses, the doctors, the support staff, the phlebotomists, the janitors, and everybody kind of keeps the hospitals running and sort of essential personnel, if you like, in general, you know, absolutely went above and beyond and continue. I mean, unfortunately, this is not stopped, right? I mean, we are in New York are still in insanely high numbers and the hospital is full. Um, so, you know, they've completely gone above and beyond that. You know, and we work with amazing people. Um, the problems are, are more structural. We, you know, we, in my opinion, um, we don't really have an effective public health system anymore. Um, you know, the, uh, the best part, you know, the health department traditionally in the city has been very strong and has been sort of disempowered by the mayor. Um, same is true at the state level, same is true in other states. Um, and, uh, you know, in the CDC, uh, which is a world eminent organization was completely gutted by the uh, Trump administration and is still struggling. Um, and these are, you know, this is fundamentally a public health problem. And when you don't have a functioning public health infrastructure in a country, it's a big problem or people don't listen to it. And that's, uh, you know, it's not almost so much a medical problem as a public health problem. In addition to these structural public health issues Dr. Barr discusses, there's a lot to take away in general from the COVID-19 pandemic. And Dr. Barr highlights some significant events that stuck out to him at the midst of the pandemic, positive and negative. When you look back at 2020, what moment will you remember as representative of your experience working during the peak of coronavirus? I mean, I think at the worst, uh, I think it was uh, worst and best, if you like. The worst was um, coming out of, uh, you know, my coming out of work, which is right by the emergency room entrance and two nights in a row, you know, basically people falling out of taxis or cars and essentially dying before they got, you know, 30 feet to the emergency room. Um, the which sort of typifies the chaos and severity and just devastation, especially in you know, parts of New York um, and and elsewhere. Um, I mean, the flip side was the like I mentioned, the empty emergency room seven days later. <laughs> it's just stopped, and we can make it stop. In conclusion, although there have been many negative impacts of COVID-19, we should have great gratitude towards healthcare professionals for all their work and effort during the COVID-19 pandemic, which is still continuing. Dr. Barr speaks about what gave him hope in this extraordinary year of struggle. What about the medical community or your work gave you hope for the future? 
Yeah, I, I think it's the, you know, I think this has been devastating for um, many, many people, uh, including people in healthcare who have been primary, uh, you know, both, in, you know, obviously for communities that have lost massive numbers of people or um, groups like healthcare workers who have seen a lot of this up front. Um, you know, it's been traumatic. And, you know, I don't know if you know, but one of the, um, you know, one of the eminent doctors at, at Columbia uh, committed suicide, uh, sort of, in this because of kind of going through this experience. So, um, I think it's been very, very difficult year, and it continues to be. The volume, you know, what's particularly hard right now is everything's going on. The hospitals are still full. Everybody is working like crazy. Still, a year later, um, but that's also what you know is inspiring and gives me hope. I mean, we have fantastic colleagues. We have fantastic uh, people who are dedicated and do the right thing, um, you know, in, in very difficult circumstances. And, and uh, you know, so it's always, that's always been inspiring. You know, I, um, so I think, you know, and I think there's been a lot of camaraderie and a lot of uh, sort of dealing just going above and beyond in terms of dealing with very difficult circumstances and yet kind of doing the right thing and, and pulling through. Yeah, definitely. Um, those are all the questions I had for today, but thank you so much again for taking the time to speak with me. This was super helpful and I'm sure everyone listening has learned so much new stuff about this. Okay, thanks for doing this.